Well, hello, CMYK community and beyond. If you're, for whatever reason, dipping your toe in the water, I'm so grateful that you are a part of this in this really unique season. My name is Matt, and obviously, this is not typically how we go about what we do, um, because we're in the midst of some sheltering at home for us here in Billings, Montana, and a lot of the country and a lot of the world, honestly, is working their best to respond to this COVID-19 pandemic and what's taking place. And so I hope you are staying safe. I hope you're staying healthy. Um, And I'm just honored that you are working to have some sort of semblance of community just by tuning into this podcast and being a part of this thing called CMYK on whatever level that looks like for you. I also want to let you know that I really miss you guys. I really miss seeing my friends and the people that are a part of this thing on Sundays as we typically gather and being missing that. Uh, So I I hope you're doing well. I miss you. Today is Palm Sunday in the church calendar, and we kind of had this big thing. Uh, We don't really do anything big, but we had had this thing planned, I'll just say, uh, to kind of talk about and go through Palm Sunday, what it means and uh, what does it point to us for us today. And so we're gonna, still going to do that through the podcast. But before we jump into it, I want to mention a couple things. First and foremost, next Sunday is Easter. And again, we are still going to be in quarantine land. And so we're not going to be gathering for Easter. There's very few, hopefully any churches locally are going to be gathering for Easter because we're working to keep everybody safe, but we're going to do our best to host a couple things online. So I want to make sure that if for whatever reason, you're not a part of our email um, to do that, because that's going to have the best instructions and links to to make sure that you can be a part of our Easter gathering. Because more than just a podcast like this, we're going to be hosting a live gathering, a streaming gathering that you can comment, you can interact with the people that are watching together and be a part of things. So uh, we don't want you to miss out on that. So make sure that you're following along uh, through our email. You can sign up for that at cmykchurch.com or through any of our social media feeds, whether that's Instagram or Facebook. Just do your best to make sure that you're following along because we don't want you to miss the live experience. It's going to be at 1030 a.m. There's going to be a link uh, to be a part of that. The other thing that we're doing that uh, I'm honestly really, really excited about is there's going to be comments and conversation hopefully happening over the live gathering that's going to be about, you know, half hour, 45 minutes long. But then we're going to invite people to, if they want to join in on a group Zoom conversation, that you would be invited to do that. Not everybody has to do that, but we're going to split it up into two different groups and you can be a part of both groups or one group. So uh, I hope this isn't confusing. But what we're going to do is after the gathering quote unquote, on Sunday, um, we're going to invite people with, through a Zoom link to just connect and see each other's faces and say, hey, how are you? And just have some sort of connection and conversation and and just check in on everybody. It's going to be quick, but we just thought, man, it, it's just important you know, to just see everybody. So we're excited to hopefully do that and hope that you would make time after the gathering on Sunday. It'll be before Easter lunch, whatever that looks like for you. So you'll be able to squeeze it in uh, for you to just connect with everybody and say, hi, just drop in. We would love to just physically see you would be awesome. And so we're going to do that for a few minutes. And then after a few minutes, uh, we're going to start a second Zoom chat uh, that people can jump in on that's going to be family specific. Now, everybody's welcome to both of these chats, but we thought it would be fun to do kind of a family specific one that kids could join in and be a part of the conversation as well. 
uh, that our kids, like my kids, are missing seeing their friends on Sundays. And so the opportunity for just my kids to see all their CMYK pals and to say hi over Zoom and say, how are you? And uh, Jenny Barkak, our kids director, and Chris, they're going to be there and they might have some thoughts and some fun things for our kids to do. So just as families to be able to connect as well. So again, both of those are happening. All of the specific details for when those Zoom conversations are taking place, again, are going to be a part of our email or social media. So please, 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 please do your best to make sure that you're signed up and ready to go. The last thing I want to mention before we jump into the talk today is that at the end of this talk, there's a quick audio message from Jenny Barkak, our kids director, because we are continuing to do everything we can as a community to serve one another. And one of the ways that we see that we can serve each other right now is just helping out parents, because obviously our kids are home all day right now, and we're home all day right now. And so we just are working to figure out tools and ways to to make sure that it's the, the best space possible for both the adults and the kids. And Jenny has some incredible things on that. Hopefully you've been following along on social media with all the stuff we've been posting. But specifically, uh, Jenny has some things to bring to you parents, and we don't want you to miss out on that that. So uh, all that to say, make sure to tune in at the end of this podcast because I'm just going to post and tag on that audio that Jenny recorded. Other than that, let's jump into this thing called Palm Sunday. I'm not sure about you, but Palm Sunday was always this kind of funky uh, holiday for me growing up. It was always the weekend in the church tradition that I grew up in uh, that we had a big uh, choir, a lot of Palm Sundays that were a part of things. And it was kind of this big deal that today is Palm Sunday, but I never really understood why <laughs> it was Palm Sunday. For a season, I thought, well, maybe because it's becoming spring and palm trees kind of remind you of warm weather. And so there's a connection there. And then you learn this story about Jesus entering Jerusalem and there's palm leaves that are, you know, he's waved with palm leaves and there's palm leaves laid on the ground. And so you learn this story as a kid and you cut out the little palm leaves with the paper and you color it green. Uh, And then there was the weird kids that would color it like pink and my OCD would kind of kick in and like, no, palm leaves are not pink, they're green. You're messing up the biblical story. How could you? You know, because as a true Bible scholar, (laughs) as a kid, those palm leaves are supposed to be green. But we would color it and we would take it to our parents and our parents would probably throw it away because, you know, uh, who needs more stuff like that? But that's just a part of growing up sometimes is you color things to give to your parents for them to discreetly throw away when the kids aren't looking. Anyways, so this was Palm Sunday. It was just this random kind of day that you shared the same story every single week. It was different from other holidays because there wasn't any presence involved. There wasn't necessarily a big uh, meal involved. There wasn't a gathering of family involved. It was just this thing before Easter called Palm Sunday. And for me, as we look at this holiday this year, um, I think it's important to look at this story and to ask the question, what is this story and what's happening behind it? And as we are essentially 2,000 years removed from this story, as we do with a lot of stories in scripture, does this still have some sort of relevance, significance, resonance for us here in the year 2020? Or is it just this random holiday where we color pieces of paper and cut out leaves and, <laughs> and just go to church? Is that what this is about? And maybe there's a choir. This idea of Palm Sunday comes from, as I mentioned, this story that's found in the Gospels of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. 
And more than just people laying palm leaves on the ground or waving them with palm leaves, there's something far deeper and far more significant that I think rings so much truer for me as an adult than it ever did as a kid. We're going to look at specifically the story that's found in the Gospel of Matthew and his telling of what takes place on what is known as Palm Sunday. This is Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 9. And this is dealing with Jesus and his followers. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mountain of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, two of his followers, and he said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Now, as a kid, I always loved this story because there's this idea that's present that Jesus says, hey, that thing over there, I need it. Go get it. And if they ask what it's for, just say, the Lord needs it. And then everything's going to be fine. This is essentially a first century telling of Grand Theft Donkey or Grand Theft Auto before there were autos. It's just this really interesting story. But there's something happening underneath the surface of this. This isn't just Jesus eyeing a donkey and going, hey, I I really need that donkey. No matter what, I got to get my hands on that donkey. Um, That is not what's taking place here. But as is referenced in the text, as we just read, Jesus is working to fulfill a prophecy, uh, some words that have been spoken hundreds of years earlier about who the savior of uh, Jerusalem or who the savior of the Jewish people was going to be. And a sign of who this person was going to be was that they would ride in on a donkey, on a colt, that this is who this king coming to them was going to be. And so Jesus is doing something really specific in kind of stopping the story and saying, hey, before we enter Jerusalem, before this moment takes place, we need to make sure that I'm on a donkey so that everybody understands what's happening here and that it's tied to something historic, that it's not just a random Jesus rolling into Jerusalem with his homies, but this really is something that's pointed towards something bigger, deeper, and historic that everybody in the city has been waiting for. Everybody within the Jewish custom and, custom and tradition has been waiting for. And so verse seven, it says, they brought the donkey in the cold and put their cloaks on and he sat on them. And most of the crowd, so Jerusalem is a crowded city at this time, for sure, specifically because of what's happening in the cultural context and the holidays that are taking place at this time of year. And so there's a lot of people and it says most of the crowd. In other words, there is this large group of people, they spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And this is a sign that the crowd is getting behind the entrance of this, again, quoting the prophecy, this coming king. And that people are a part of saying, I'm in, I'm a part of this. I want to make sure that this guy sees happen what he wants to see happen. Because I'm on team donkey man. Whoever this guy is and whatever's going on, I'm a part of that. 
because this is a big deal for them to spread their cloaks on the road. Now we live in a time of cheap fashion where, you know, a t-shirt can cost us five bucks and, you know, we have a hole ripped in our t-shirt, no big deal for them to take their cloaks, which was not something that they had lots and lots and lots of, unless you were abundantly rich, but for them to take their cloak and lay it on the ground, which a ground is not some nice clean pavement. I think we can all understand what the ground probably looked like 2000 years ago. It's muddy, it's dirty, it's gross. There's probably animal feces. There is stuff happening on this ground that you do not want your cloak interacting with. But for them to lay their cloaks on the ground, there's a level of sacrifice, a level of service that they're bringing and saying, I'm putting myself here. I'm giving of myself in this way to say, I'm behind this, I'm for this, and I want to see this happen. On top of that, in verse 9, it says, And the crowds then went before him, and they were following him, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So now more than just leaves, more than just cloaks on the road, they are actually shouting and stirring up not uh, some energy in the crowd to say, this is it. This is happening, everybody. Hop on board because this is something worth celebrating and being a part of. It says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd says, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So the picture that's found on this Palm Sunday reading, this story that's shared every single year, is a picture of Jesus entering into Jerusalem as the coming king. And he is not just doing that in himself, as himself. He's not just doing that for his small band of followers. The whole city is stirred up because of Jesus's entrance into this place that everybody's got their eyes on Christ in this moment to say, okay, here's the coming king. The prophecy is happening. We've got people behind him, people that are sacrificing for him. This is the moment where Jesus gets what Jesus wants and we as followers of Jesus get to celebrate his coming reign. This is a significant story and statement. It's actually found in all of the gospels that communicate this story, which is rare to find the same story in every single gospel, but it's that significant that people are responding to Christ's entrance into Jerusalem, that he is their coming king, their savior. They would use the Messiah in this moment. He's the one that's come to save them and make everything better. But if you've heard the story of Christ before, which most of us have, we know that this is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the film where the hero is decorated and they get the medal and everybody's championing how great they are and awesome they are. This is actually setting up what's to come. It's just a few days later in the story that we read this, Matthew chapter 27. Verse one, it says, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. So all of a sudden things have changed and things have turned that in the middle of the night, these religious leaders come and they arrest Jesus and they put him on trial and they take him before Pilate, the governor. And then there is this crazy scene that happens a few verses later. It says, now at the feast of the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd, any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner, notorious, everybody knows him, called Barabbas. 
And so when they had gathered, Pilate, this governor, said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they have delivered him up. So Pilate goes before the crowd and he has these two criminals, essentially, two people that have been arrested that are getting prepared to be murdered or crucified. And he has this question, hey, uh, which one of these guys deserves to be set free? This guy that everybody in the crowd knows is a murderer, has killed people. We all know this, you guys. Or this guy, Jesus, who I know you delivered up out of envy. <laughs> like, I know there were just some hurt feelings. And so which one deserves to be let go? And it just seems like, according to how this story plays out, that Pilate is trying to tip the scales on Jesus' side. Like, come on, this guy, really? Like, what has he done? Like, he said some things? You're not happy with what he said? Oh, I'm sorry. Like, you could let him go. Or this guy that literally killed people. Which one deserves to be set free? Now, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And the governor again said to them, "Uh, seriously, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, again, just to be clear, it seems like, he says, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? In other words, this one that people have said is this coming king, this Messiah, this person that you just celebrated a few days ago in the streets as being behind, being on board with, and being for. And they all said, let him be crucified. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, this murderer. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This for me is where the power of this Palm Story Sunday really starts to resonate here 2,000 years later. Because you have a story about someone that is so celebrated and so honored and so pointed at as the one that's going to save everyone and fix everything and be this person that they've been waiting for for decades. And in a few short days, the entire crowd turns and wants nothing but to see his death and murder. And they would rather have a known murderer be released and around their children and families and in the crowd once again than this man, Jesus. This is a drastic change of heart and turn of events for how the crowd views and sees Jesus. What happens between that Palm Sunday moment celebration and this moment where the entire crowd is turned and they want to see nothing but his death? And the more that we look at it, the more that we work to understand these stories and what's taking place, I think it comes down to one word, expectation. There was an expectation of Jesus entering the city and what his reign, his kingship was going to look like, particularly when it came to how Jesus was going to treat the Roman government. Because as we know, the Jewish people were under the foot of the Roman government at the time. They were under the rule of Caesar and this empire of Rome. 
and they didn't want to be there. There's historical moments throughout history before the life of Christ and after the life of Christ that we can point at where different Jewish people worked to bring uprisings to see Rome overthrown. That's what they wanted to see happen as a Jewish people. They wanted to see themselves established once again as God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, that everybody would be able to point at and see the significance and beauty of the Israelites, that everybody would know God is on our side and our team. And as long as they were under the foot of Rome and did not have the freedoms and the abilities that they wanted to as people, that was not seen and known by everybody else. And so we have these uprisings throughout history that people are trying to take on Caesar to once again reestablish the Jewish people as significant, powerful God chosen. And so here we have this moment where Jesus is riding into Jerusalem and there is this expectation because of prophecy, because of belief, because of hope and desire that Jesus is going to be the one that overthrows Rome. In other words, he's going to come against them, the bad guys, the evil ones, the baddies, and he is going to elevate us as God's chosen, God's important, God's significant ones that everybody will know we have been and always are in the right. We know what's going on and it's them, the bad guys, Rome, that need to get taken down a few notches. This is the story of what God is up to on planet earth and Jesus is here to make that happen, to take out them and to elevate us. This is why we are here. And so they're celebrating this coming king to see this expectation fulfilled. But as we know, Jesus does not come against Rome. He does something completely different. I find this incredibly fascinating because how many of us have created some sort of narrative? And I I, I ask that question ironically because all of us (laughs) have this tendency to create this same kind of narrative where there is an us, in other words, our viewpoints, our beliefs, our politics, our view of how that fight or argument happened or took place. We have an us view. Team Matt, Camp Matt, this is how things should be and are. And I know that I know that I know that I'm right most of the time. And then there is a them, the Roman Empire, the people that are coming against us, the people that are coming against our ideas, our beliefs, our hopes, our version of history and how the fight actually went or how the argument really went. And we have this tendency to believe that we just have to figure out how we can take out them so that us can be elevated. So I need to figure out how we take out that political party, that idea, that belief system, that structure and religion. I need to figure out how to take out their argument or their view of history, how they're choosing to see how things went down. And as long and as soon as I can take them down, then I will be elevated as seen right. And everybody will applaud my politics. Everybody will applaud the way that I've chosen to go about things, my viewpoint, my leadership, how I believe things. And this is my desire and hope. And so there is this looking and longing for some sort of quote unquote savior, some sort of thing that's going to come riding into our life that is going to help us validate us and take out them. This is what we're looking for. And so it's this new idea. It's this new video that we saw. It's this new podcast. It's this new book. It's this new leader. It's this new person to vote for. Whatever it is, we are looking for that thing that is going to validate us and take out them. 
And we love and lean into this narrative so much. Whatever the them is and whatever the us is, we have this tendency to live this life. And so when we find the thing that we think is going to make it all better, we, many of us, are all in. It's the thing we talk about. It's the thing we share on social media. It's the thing that we try to get our friends to read and interact with. Well, if you just watched this video and if you just heard this and you just listened to this, then everything would be better for your life because we feel like us is being elevated and them are being taken down. And here's this moment where this expectation for the Jewish people of the Savior taking out them and elevating us isn't found. In fact, something completely different takes place. It says in in this in-between period of time before Jesus is before Pilate and sentenced to be crucified, but after this Palm Sunday morning moment, after he has been celebrated as the coming king, there's this interaction that Jesus has in the religious temple for the Jewish people. It says Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, for many of us reading this, this is just a weird moment where Jesus doesn't know how to go to church. (laughs) You don't walk into a church and overturn tables and yell at people. That's not how you do church. And so, is this what's happening in this moment? Well, historically speaking, what's taking place is this temple has this idea and belief behind it for what it should be about. And it has kind of transformed and changed into a place where not just money is being exchanged, but there is this system that's been set in place that to worship in the temple, to be a part of this belief and this religious system, you had to have certain kinds of currency, you had to have certain amounts of money, and you had to go through this process to be able to do that. And in, the, in this work of what was happening, the elite, those with enough, were able to celebrate, worship, be a part of this process. But there was a whole bunch of people that were on the outside that were not able to interact, the lame, the poor. And they found themselves in a place where they could not join in and be a part of it. And so it became this elitist group of people that were able to interact around these things and everybody else was just left on the outside. And until you became an elitist, essentially, you were left stuck outside. And Jesus enters into this system and decides to physically and literally overturn everything and trying to communicate, this is not what this is about. This is not about those with enough just getting more and more and more and more and more. This is about making sure that those without are taken care of. This is about making sure that those that don't have, they get to be in that have category and those with enough are giving what they have to those without so that everybody can be in that same place together. That's what this space, that's what this temple is about. And I am not okay with that. It's why we see Jesus immediately after turning over the tables, it says that the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed him. This is what this place is for. This is what this is about, Jesus says. Now, why would this moment come up between this Palm Sunday and crucifixion story? Because here we have Jesus doing what Jesus seems to be about. 
There was this expectation of the people that Jesus was going to ride into the town and he was going to take out them. He was going to take out the baddies. He was going to take out Rome and elevate us, the Jewish people, the believers, God's chosen one. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, what we see Jesus do is rather than come against them, he actually points the finger at us. And he says, there's an invitation here. There's always been an invitation here for you to be somebody that is caring for those in need around you. And you have spent your life potentially looking at an enemy outside of what's happening in your life. And you're pointing your finger at them, believing that if you could just take out them, everything would be better. All the while Jesus is saying, no, there's actually an invitation for your life to be live centered on taking care of those in need around you, not focusing on some enemy out there, not spending your time and energy and resources and social media streams and feeds and videos and podcasts and all of your energy working to take out them. That's not what I'm about, Christ says. That's not what this is about. There's an invitation here to see this sacred space like a temple that you are invited to be a part of in your life. That's not creating elitism, us versus them mentalities, not trying to elevate yourself and take down someone that believes, thinks, acts differently, votes differently, uh, comes at history or the argument or interprets things differently. Know that you create sacred space where people are cared for, seen, known, loved, and embraced. That's what this is about. And so Jesus doesn't point the finger at them and come against them. Jesus points the finger at us and says, hey, there's an invitation here. Are you picking up that invitation? Or you're spending your life on this repetitive narrative of looking for some sort of savior that's just going to take out them. And that's all you're doing with your breath. And that's all you're doing with your energy. And in that you're creating this elitism that it's us, my way, my thoughts, my ideas, that's what's best. And that God and the divine is about elevating you and taking down them. And Jesus says, that's such a silly, wasteful narrative. We've got to overturn these tables and point the finger at us and how we're actually engaged this sacred space, what this has always been about. And so as you can imagine, the minute Jesus in this temple moment doesn't point the finger at them and come against them, but points the finger at us, this is where, in fact, one of the gospels say it's right out of this moment where Jesus overturns the tables in the temple that the chief priests and the elders in the law, they go and they start to plot his death because we don't like the finger pointed at us. We're looking for somebody to help point the finger at them. (laughs) And so when Jesus doesn't do that, here's this turning moment. Here's where the expectations are broken because a savior is not someone that's pointing the finger at us. And we don't like the idea that we have to evaluate us. We're here to look for things that elevate us, not challenge us. But this is where this story of Palm Sunday rings so true. And this is why we need to talk about this weird story with leaves and cloaks and a donkey. Because all of us know what it's like to spend our time and energy coming after them, looking for a savior to take out them so that we can elevate us. And here is this invitation of a savior that says, no, There's something in you and about you that you're invited to engage and be a part of to create sacred space where you see everyone, you embrace everyone. 
You care for those without. And you take what you have and you say, I have enough. And you learn to care for those in need around you, not to create elitist models and mentalities that if you believe, think, talk, act, look like me, if you vote like me, then you're in the in crowd and we're going to take care of you. But if you're on the outside, I'm going to come against you and go after you. No, this is sacred space where everyone is worked to be seen, known, loved, and embraced. The question for me that this story invites is to ask Matt Blakesley, how am I living some sort of elitist lifestyle and mentality? How am I looking down on people that think differently, act differently, vote differently than I do? How am I looking to find that video, that article, that idea, that argument that I think is just going to take them out and elevate me and have everybody celebrate how awesome Matt Blakesley and his ideas and his beliefs are compared to how am I actually working to hear and listen? How am I working to care for those in need around me? We need to talk about this Palm Story Sunday because we're in this time with COVID-19 and quarantine where many of us are not in a space, in a place where we want to be with our day and our lives. We don't want to be in quarantine. And there's a tendency for us to scroll through our newsfeed or look around at our community and to be able to point the finger at, well, if they would just start this, if they would just stop that, then everything would be better and everything would be different. And we're spending our time and energy and lives just getting angry at them and working to elevate us and our beliefs. And I believe it's in this unique time that there would be this invitation of a savior, if you will, of a Christ that would invite us not to point the finger at them and try to come against them, but to point the finger at us and say, okay, what are you doing in this moment to create sacred space? Because there is an invitation for you to see who you are in this moment as someone that's invited into that space to see those in need around you. For me, it looks like rather than focus on them outside, it's focusing on, okay, I'm spending a lot of time with my wife these days. Spend a lot of time with my kids these days. How am I working to actually see, know, and embrace them for where they are? I'm interacting with people at my job and working. And so how am I actually interacting and connecting with them? And then people that I might find some sort of political or some sort of theological difference or belief on, Rather than living some sort of elitist mentality that I'm trying to take them out and find something that's going to take them out, then I'm working to create space where they're welcome and that I can hear and care for them because that's the invitation for Matt Blakesley in this moment, not to look for some savior to take them out. We need to talk about Palm Sunday because there is this divine breath and life and invitation for who you are in listening to this. And there's a unique thing happening in our culture. And however long this goes on, my belief is that there is this Christ, this invitation for you to look at yourself and the sacred space that you're creating with your family, with your friends, with the people around you, to look at the sacred space that you're creating in your interactions online, however they're taking place right now, 
And are you somebody that's finding that to be true and ringing true for your life? Or are you spending all of your life on this repetitive narrative that we've seen happen in humanity generation after generation after generation, and it's happening again today where we define a them, the baddies, the people we just have to come against and we're looking for a savior to take them out so they can so we can be elevated and shown to be so right and awesome and true and the best believers and thinkers and it's just exhausting to live that over and over and over again. So the invitation is Christ is to set that down and to see this sacred space here and now in this moment and to do the hard, difficult thing that we want to react to, but to do it that maybe there's a change in me, a challenge in the way Matt Blakesley thinks and the way Matt Blakesley goes about things that I would be invited into that would actually move the story forward in a more beautiful way for my life, for the people around me. I love you and I hope that wherever you are and whatever's going on, that you see this invitation and you're able to breathe deep and be a part of what I believe to be so significant and so important for your day today, wherever you are and whatever's going on. I hope that you have people around you that you're asking the question, what can I do for you? And that you're working to live centered in this, what can I do for you? Just so you know, the way we define it at CMYK is not, you have to just give money or physical things. That's an easy thing sometimes. And that's a good thing, an important thing. But what can I do for you is learning to be fully present with somebody learning to be honest with somebody, learning to be open to ideas and thoughts outside of yourself and working to then be the embodiment of love, that this is what we do for one another in this, in this time. This is how we create this sacred space. So I hope you're finding that to be true, that you are present, honest, open, and the embodiment of love with those physically around you in this time as we social distance, those online that you're interacting with but that there's something sacred about your breath and that invitation and that you're finding that to be true in this moment. If you are somebody that there's something that we can do for you, if you need anything, obviously we're not gathering on Sundays, so we're not able to look eyeball to eyeball and ask that. So if if there's anything we can do for you, please reach out on social media or you can reach out at our website at cmykchurch.com. Other than that, Please, please, please uh, don't miss out on next Sunday, Easter Sunday online. It's going to be unique. It's going to be different. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a great time. So I hope you can join us and be a part of that. Uh, make sure to be assigned, that you're signed up for our email newsletter or following along on social media, as I mentioned before. And then last but not least, if you're a parent or just want to tune in with some really good thoughts on some things, uh, Jenny Barkek, our kids director, has a quick thought and message for you all. Other than that, hope to see you all, really see you all very, very soon. Hello, everyone. It's Jenny. I just wanted to take a few minutes to share with you some things that I think will be very helpful for you and your family um, in providing some support and some new tools in our virtual tool belt um, that will help uh, minimize some of the stress going on in our families. It's not very hard um, to look around and find moments where we feel powerless, um, where we're not able to help in some of the ways we'd like to help and um, missing some of those connections that we were normally um, able to do. And your kids are going to find those same 
times where they feel powerless. And it may come out through misbehavior, through um, saying hurtful things. And so I wanted to share a little bit with you um, something that we could do that would be helpful. Um, Children learn through images, through pictures, and um, tangible ways for them to practice something that's going to be very helpful um, in providing a way to support and to connect with others virtually. And we are sending a lesson home this weekend about a wish well ritual that will allow you as a family to be together. And um, it's going to be helpful if you do this daily, um, provided as maybe um, a space in some of your visual schedules that you've created. And the purpose of a wish well board um, is going to be you're going to possibly be thinking of family, um, maybe the doctors, nurses, our world, things that are going on that we are really wanting to um, send love to. Um, or it could be their friends at school, it could be their teachers. And so what we do together um, to, to unite in this way is we put those people in our heads first and come up with who that might be. And then we slowly um, move them to our hearts where we're going to hold space for them and we fill our hearts with love and then we send them out. Um, and what that looks like is we, we may talk about the people we want to wish well or the people that we are missing or worried for. And we put we, we have the kids put their hands over their heart and we take a big deep breath in and we send all those loving thoughts and energy out to whoever we've talked about. Now that's going to do two things. Oftentimes, children feel powerless to be able to help in the moment. And this is actually a way that they can help show support for someone else without actually having to be there. Um, it also helps soothe the lower centers of their brain. And it can also be done when a sibling's crying and is upset and a child's not sure what to do to be helpful. You can wish them well. You can take deep breaths. You can um, send out all that love and energy knowing that they can handle this. The other thing it does is it connects you as a family saying that being able to hold space for someone else, praying for them, that's a big thing. That is a very helpful thing. And children need to know that they are contributing in positive ways, just like we feel like we want to be contributing in positive ways as well. So we're sending information to kind of help guide you in this process. And I encourage you to, as a family, discuss what you want it to look like for you. Um, and it can it can be a one-time thing. It can be something that you do daily. I do think that you will notice that it's going to provide a sense of soothing for your children to feel like they are um, empowered to support someone or others or something as, as big as our world whenever they feel the need to do that. It's also going to um, provide an opportunity for you as a family to talk about why that would be important or what that might look like. Um, and some of your children are doing it in school um, daily when students don't come to school and they're missing each other each day. So I just want to encourage you that there are oftentimes a lot of big lessons in life that get taught in some of these connecting um, conversation ways that's not including any um, iPads or computers. It's the face-to-face. It's the watching um, when someone's sharing and the heart that it's coming from. And sometimes those are our best lessons um, that are turn into life lessons 
that will um, be something that your kids will look back upon from years to come. So as you um, work together on this lesson, I want you to know that um, we're all learning to do um, this together, and it's it's not always going to be perfect, but providing these tangible ways for your children to connect with you and those who they're concerned for is going to have powerful impacts later. So I wish you well this week.